0: I want to share today something that, a message that I've literally been preparing for, for weeks, maybe months. I'm hoping that what I preach today will be memorable, impactful. I I trust that the words that I share with you today will live with you as long as they've lived with me. I was a teenager, not really necessarily passionate about my walk with Christ. When I walked into a meeting one night and heard a man preach a message that even in my most desperate days of trying to find out who I was and what I was supposed to do, I never forgot. And that message sort of marked my life because I recognized that life is not about the few years that you live here. This is actually the foyer to our real life. A few weeks ago, I was watching a documentary. I love to study great leaders. And I was watching a documentary of a man that will go down in history as one of the Major leaders of the 21st century, 20th century, excuse me. His name is Mikhail Gorbachev. I've walked through parts of the Soviet Union that the wall came down. He was a reformer that allowed a a nation to experience incredible reformation, sometimes at his own peril. Born in abject poverty, Didn't really have the best things going for him in life. Actually grew up in a time when there was a huge famine. People scavenged around for food. Not very many people in his family were educated. And he just applied himself to say, I'm gonna do the best I can do. And he rose the ranks in a communist world to become the secretary general of the Soviet Union and eventually become the president. And as he was being interviewed, he talked about the desire he had to see the, the, the heritage of oppression that his nation had been responsible for, broken. He said, I realized that we had caused fear. He talked about his great partnership with men like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and others to try to end nuclear proliferation. And he just talked about 50 plus years of service where he'd given his life for things he believed in. And they looked at him and they said, Mr. Gorbachev, he said, well, in his eighties, his wife has passed away. And they said to him, Mr. Gorbachev, there's coming a day in the near future when, when your life will be ended. It's going to be over. And like every graveyard, there's a date of your birth. There's a date when you pass away and your whole life is explained by a dash. Your life is not the beginning date or the end date, your life is the middle. And they said, what do you want the dash to mean? If people will look and see a headstone and it's got your name on it, what videos would you want played? What stories would you want told? What do you want to be remembered most for? And he said two words. He said, I want that little dash to mean this. We tried. (coughs) We tried. With all the things we had positively and all the things we had negatively, we tried. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, scripture's gonna be on the screen behind me in 2 Corinthians chapter five, says this, for therefore we are always confident knowing this, that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Paul's talking about the first part of the chapter, he's dealing with the temporary residence that you and I live in called life on this side. He's talking about the fact that everybody's living in a house that's fading away. How many of you know even your natural house, after 15, 20 years, you got to paint it, you got to fix it because everything built in the natural world is built to decay. And he's talking about the fact that not only is our, the homes that you go to when you finish church today, something that's passing away. He said, you actually live in an earth house that no matter how many vitamins you take and how well you preserve it, it's in decay. And as long as I'm in this body, I'm, I'm apart from the Lord. And it's in that context that he makes this statement. We live by faith and not by sight. In other words, I choose to live by what I believe, not just what I see. Because there's some things I'm doing that I see no results from. I don't have any help. There are some times I prayed and I didn't see any answer. There's sometimes I gave and I didn't get a big harvest. There's sometimes I forgave and the person that was offended with me didn't forgive back. But I have to learn I live by faith and I don't live by sight. He said, for we're confident, I say, that I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But he said, here's what we do while we're on the earth. We make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Please don't miss this statement. Listen, there are some scriptures today that the 21st century church don't wanna talk about but are still in the Bible. And here's one of them. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things that were done while in the body, whether good or bad. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you'll help me communicate what you've communicated to me. You've called us to be difference makers. And our desire is to please the Lord in all that we do. In Jesus' name, somebody give him a great shout of praise. And watch this. Your life and my life is lived, experienced, and overcome in the middle. I heard Jordan today, as he, Pastor Jordan, as he was ex- exhorting us say, sometimes the middle of the story doesn't change. But our ability to overcome in the middle is what gives meaning to life. How many of you know that most of the time they don't talk to you about the middle? Hmm? Let, me, let me ask this question. How many, how many people in the room are single? All the single people in the room, hold your hand up. All the single people. Hold your hand up high. Wherever you Come on, act like you're happy to be single. Just hold your hand up high. All the married people in the room, hold your hand up. How, how many of the married people can testify to the single people that some of the things that you thought at the beginning were not always true in the middle? I don't know how many weddings I've done. It's been somewhere over 400. But this is what I do know. I do know that before every wedding, if I go into the bride's room to pray with the bride, if you go in the bride's room with all the brides and the bridesmaids, there is laughter and giggling and fluffing of dresses and makeup and excitement and happiness. And everybody is so full of anticipation. And then I leave the bride... I go to talk to the groom, and he's stiff as a board, scared as he can be. Come on. And when you bring him and his men out, it's like undertakers are walking out to stand at the front of the church. And they're standing there, and he feels even worse when he finally gets on stage and the whole audience turns and turns their back to him and looks to the back door. And I tell grooms this. I said, "Listen, this is a long date. She ain't never going home. Something's about to change. And listen to me closely. When you hear that organ go dun dun da dun 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 da dun, just know you're done." Because your marriage is not really how it begins and it's not really even how it ended. It's about what happened in the middle. How many of you been to Disney? How many of you have been to Disney World? Anybody been to Space Mountain? I don't do this anymore, but I remember the first time I rode Space Mountain. You remember Space Mountain? There's a roller coaster in a, inside of a mountain. It's in the dark. You don't know where you're going. You can't see it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, you get on on the front end. Everybody's always happy. They're laughing. They're excited about the ride. People are like, this is going to be the thrill of my life. And then if you stand over on the other side, four minutes later when they come back, their hair is standing up. Their glasses are crooked. They are like all kinds of nervous. And you know, something happened in the middle. God gave Joseph a dream. He showed him the beginning and he showed him the end. He just didn't show him the middle. When God transformed my life supernaturally in 1976 in a garage apartment and reminded me of the call of God on my life, he showed me stadiums, he showed me auditoriums, he showed me altars full of people, he showed me people coming to Christ, he showed me people being healed. What he didn't show me was that in the middle there'd be rejection and betrayal and testings and trials. He didn't tell me I'd be arrested in India and shot at all night long in Venezuela and confronted by demon-possessed witch doctors. He didn't tell me I'd have to fight for my kid's life when I'm out of the country and the doctor tells me they won't live till morning and I can't get home. He didn't tell me any of that stuff because the middle is where I had to learn to overcome. I have to learn how to win in the middle. Now listen to me. If you're gonna overcome in the middle, you're gonna have to do something. The Bible says he brought them out to bring them in. Somebody say that with me. He brought them out to bring them in. We read that and we automatically assume that everybody that got out got in. But I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you study your, your Bible, you'll find out that most of them that got out didn't get in. And they didn't get in because they didn't know what to do in the middle. They didn't know what to do with life's demands that require them to be an overcomer. How many of you know if you're going to be an overcomer, that means you got to come over something? Or, as you want to, if I can put it in modern vernacular, you got to get over it. You got to get over some stuff. You got to get over obstacles. You got to get over challenges. You got to get over things that are less than perfect conditions because overcomers learn how, in the middle of life circumstances, to find a way to keep on believing even when life wants to knock them down. Why is it important that we fight by faith to be overcomers? I'll tell you why. If you're taking notes, I hope you write this down. There's only two questions going to be asked in eternity. Here's the two questions. The first one is this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? There are two thrones of judgment that are talked about in the Bible that are after your life. One's called the great white throne judgment. That's where everybody stands and answers that question. What did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness? What did you do with his willingness to be your savior, your redeemer, What did you do with Jesus? Well, I thought he was a great guy. Amazing historical figure. Had incredible teachings, made me successful, in fact. But the question is not, what did you learn from Jesus? The question is, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And if you don't get that question right... You don't, the next one you don't have to worry about because you're not going to appear there. That's the point where he brings separation between God and man. The second question, every person in this room, no matter how long you've been born again, no matter how righteous he's made you, no matter how anointed you may be, everybody will answer the second question. And here's the second question. What did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with the life I gave you? I gave you breath, a good mind, opportunity, influence. I gave you resources. I gave you a voice to speak. I gave you contact with people. I gave you a church family to be a part of. I gave you a generation to serve. What did you do with the life I gave you? And in Numbers 25, Jesus is giving this illustration to his disciples when he talks to them about how he wants to see their future. He says, everything you have has been entrusted to you. It's been given to you as a trust. But know this, that every trust account has an accountability day. The one who gave the trust will come back and have an accounting. And in that day, watch this, he said, I want you to live to hear these words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well said. There's a lot of people that talk a great game, but do nothing. He doesn't even want you to live your life to say, you know, that's a great thought. Can you imagine Jesus sitting on heaven's throne going, you know, that was a great thought. You had a great thought. Or good intentions. Great intentions. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I want you to live for these words Well done. What did you do with what I gave you? Not what did you think about it, not what did you intend to do. Not what you think about doing. What'd you do with the life I gave you? See, what Paul's talking about is he's talking about what's called the Bema, B-E-M-A, the Bema seat of Christ. Let me tell you what the Bema seat was. He refers to it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says this. He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training And they do it to win a prize that'll fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Let me tell you what the Bema seat was. If you were at the Olympic Games in Paul's day, there would have been an, an oval track where people would have ran. And at the finish line of the track would have been an elevated seat where somebody would have sat in an elevated position so they could look over the lanes And across the whole field, they could watch people as they ran. And they could judge the race. They could judge the race for a couple of things. Did a man stay in the lane he was assigned? Or did he envy somebody else's lane? They would judge to find out who came in first. And whoever won, they would have taken an olive branch and wrapped it up into a wreath and placed it on their head. Today we give gold medals. But in those days they would put an olive branch wreath on their head. And Paul's saying this, all these men that you see working so hard to pass that bema seat to be approved, they do it for a wreath that's gonna fade away. We're in the same race. We have the same seat watching us today. He's saying, but we're not running for a wreath that's made of olive branch that's gonna dry and rot. We run for something far more eternal. We run for an eternal prize. An eternal prize. Somebody shout an eternal prize. prize. How many of you recognize today that what gives meaning to your dash is what you run for? What did you do with the time, the talent, the influence, the connections, the treasure that I put in your heart and in your life? Because what you did with that determines what eternity will be like. You want to give meaning to your dash? Two things, write this down. First one is this. Choose every day, choose to live every day with a sense of purpose and urgency. Choose to live every day with a sense of purpose and urgency. That's what Paul said. Paul said, so I run with purpose in every step, purpose. I don't run haphazardly, I'm not random. I don't have five lives to live. So I make every day be purposeful and I run it with an urgency that this don't last forever. Look what he said. He uses this analogy in multiple ways. First Corinthians chapter three, verse number 12 through 15. I'm gonna read it in the living translation. Here's what he said. He said, anyone who builds on a foundation may use various materials. He can use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But watch the language. But on the, what day? On the judgment day, the bema seat day, when I cross the finish line, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work, if you write in your Bible, you ought to underline this, has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Here's what God says. Church today, I hope you hear me deep in your heart. Here's what God says, at the end of my life, at the end of your life, there's a fire test coming. And the fire test is going to test, watch this, not how long you spent doing something, but how valuable what you did was. In other words, the fire test motivation, the fire test quality of heart. And he said everything you did so somebody could recognize you, it's going up in smoke. Everything you did so somebody could clap, he said, it's gone. You got your reward. Everything you did because you was trying to earn another step on the ladder. So the question for us today is this. How much of what we spend the majority of our energy on Really has eternal value. The next fight you get in with somebody, ask yourself this question How much will this matter in 10 years? A hundred years from now, will this make any difference in my family? Because the truth of the matter is Pop Marshall was telling me a story the other day about being in a church meeting where a man got mad at the pastor. In a church business meeting, God only knows, that's, that's the one place if you don't know if there's demons in the building, have a church business meeting. <laughs> they will reveal themselves. And he said a guy got mad because he didn't get put on the deacon board. He got in a fight with the pastor. The pastor disciplined him and went on and got in his car. When he got in his car, his 20-year-old son walked up and pulled a twenty-two pistol out and put it in the pastor's head. Ends up, a skirmish takes place, and the pastor gets away from the boy, and he goes in the church and gets his dad, and he says, your son's laying out there in the yard said his dad comes out and gets his 20-year-old boy up and he looks at, looks at the pastor and said, I had no idea I was doing this to my son. I had no idea that my actions were creating such bitterness and rebellion in him towards the house of God. Forgive me. Because what do we do that has eternal value. Am I doing okay today? You know what? Sometimes I have to just choose to look at the eternal. It ain't worth being right if it's affecting me for eternity. I'm going to give you a late bulletin. Nowhere in the Bible did God ever ask you to pray for him to humble you. He says, humble yourself. I ain't got no help, but I'm going to preach what energy I got. I'm going to preach. He didn't say, listen, if he has to humble you, that's called humiliation. Humiliation. He said, if you'll humble yourself, you won't have to be humiliated. That means you begin to make choices about what is really of eternal value. And having my way may not be that eternal. Somebody shout, it's urgent. Psalms 90 verse 12, Moses writes these words. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know what? You never live wise as long as you think you're going to live forever. Come on, I can break that down in multiple ways. How many people at 65 couldn't retire because they didn't live wise thinking they it's going to work forever? When you don't learn to number days, you live for the moment. And wisdom escapes you. So he said, "Teach me to number my days. I don't I don't get to be here forever." If God's blessing allows me to have 70, and he said if by if by chance there's an incredible blessing and you live to be 80. It's amazing. But the truth of the matter is every person in this room has an expiration date. So what am I going to do with the days I have? Second of all, if you want to put meaning on your dash, watch this, put first things first. In other words, make sure your priorities, let me tell you what I mean by that. The people and the principles that matter most are front and center in your life on a daily basis. See, there's a lot of people that have priorities of other people, but they have no priority of principle. And so they do what's expedient rather than what's right. Please hear me, loved ones. These priorities are not shaped by the culture around you. They're discerned from heaven's perspective. I don't know who's valuable in my life if I only look at it from the earthly. I have three daughters and seven grandchildren. I dealt little bit of strength I had this week, I talked with a man who's been estranged from his children for 25 years and spoke. And I'm thinking from earth's viewpoint, that may be acceptable, but what's that look like from heaven? It may be acceptable for me to say it's okay to fudge on telling the truth if it's expedient for me from the earth perspective. But what's it look like from heaven's perspective? See, listen, culture's priorities seek to wrestle out of your hands your purpose. They want to move you out of your lane. They want to make you believe that your neighbors have things you don't have and that you deserve them. So rather than live for purpose they want you to live for cheap substitutes. They want you to live for things like Power and prestige, and position, and comfort in a hedonistic society that still has me at the center of it. I sat in my office this week, and I repented before God. I said, God, forgive us as the body of Christ that we somehow have created consumer-driven church And believe the church has got to be about what's about making me comfortable and me happy. What if we never sing my song, but I'm in my lane doing what I'm supposed to do? What's heaven say about that? We choose churches today over whether it's close to my house, whether or not it's the place that's going to nurture and pull out the call of God on my life. Because we have determined to keep me at the center of the universe. God's raising up churches all over our generation that are beginning to reform and flip that narrative and begin to put God back in the center of our world again where everything is about him. In him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. Why would we do this? Why would we run to win? Why would we build with gold and silver and precious stone? You know the difference between gold, silver, and precious stone and wood, hay, and stubble? Wood, hay, and stubble can be picked up on top of the ground. It's easy. It's convenient. It takes no effort. Gold, silver, and precious stones have to be dug for. People that build their life out of convenience, it's, shoo, it's gone. Well, it wasn't convenient for me to worship that Sunday. What was? I wonder what it was like for John on the Isle of Patmos. Boiled in oil. Who said, I'm going to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day? Paul said, We do it for an eternal prize. Watch this closely. Listen. Do it because one day, one day, somebody, somebody in this room. This may not be a 5,000 square foot home. But you're not going to live in a 5,000 square foot home very long. Right here, right here, right here. See, the Bible talks about all all kinds of crowns. And none of them are given for those Who thought about it? James 1.12 He talks about the overcomer's crown. Look what he said. James 1.12 Put that on the screen for me, please, quickly. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved he'll receive a crown of life that the Lord's promised him. Temptation came to your life You let him give you the strength to overcome it. He said, here's what's waiting. Here's what's waiting. You may have given up momentary sexual pleasure for 15 minutes of an affair, but because you overcame in eternity, give me a crown. Because I overcame. See, Paul, put the next one up on the screen for me, guys. This is the this is the this is the soul winner's crown. Some of you in the room will never see this. Because you've never shared your faith. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what'll be our proud reward? crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns. It's you. When I look down through heaven and say, I told him about the gospel. I told her about the gospel. I invited them to a Christmas production. I invited them to a Thanksgiving blessing service. And God changed their life Paul said in Timothy, you can put this one up too, guys. Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4. He said, I fought a good fight. Every day, there's a fight. Some of you have been wanting to live your life on cruise control. It doesn't exist. that I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I kept my faith. Now there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me who the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but everybody that longs for his appearing. Loved ones, listen to me. This is the major issue of the 21st century church, casual Christianity. We live for the moment. We don't live for eternity. We don't live making decisions in light of eternity. We never ask God, is a $5 raise worth me getting out of my lane? Moving my kids to another city. Possibly changing the destiny of their life. What does heaven say? We we live for convenience and comfort. In fact, I've been doing this 41 years. In fact, today, if you press on church people, they're like, Don't put your legalism on me. I'm not putting legalism on you. I'm telling you, do something with your life. Because in eternity, we all answer the question, what did you do with the life I gave you? Say, Bishop, Seriously? Seriously, you think I need to forgive everybody that's hurt me? Do you know what they did? Do you know what that woman did when she walked out on me? Do you know what that man did when he took my virtue? I know. But you're not living for this week. You're living for eternity. You mean I really got to bless those who curse me? Do You mean I really have to confess my sins to be healed? Are you serious that you want me to serve? You know how busy I am? Depends on what you want to live for. Let me ask you a question. Does he have the right to say to you, I have need of you? Or do you only apply for certain positions? I wrestled all week long in my room. And the devil told me, he said, if you preach this, you're going to clear the church out. I said, well, if I do, we didn't have a church to begin with. We didn't have a church to begin with. Because I'm telling you, you don't have near as long as you think. tell you what the devil's doing every battle of your life let me tell you what every battle is you know what pastor jordan was talking about the enemy's trying to wrestle this out of your hand he's trying to wrestle this crown out of your hand because he knows watch this crowns were only given to overcomers Trying to wrestle it out of your hand. I'll tell you why. Put Revelation 3 up. Here's what Jesus said to a church in Revelation. He said, I'm coming soon. That means He's I'm coming to be with you. Hold on to what you have, that no one will take your crown. In the next chapter, he tells why. He said, Surrounding the throne, there are four and twenty elders. They were dressed in white and they had crowns of gold set on their head and the foreign living creatures had six wings covered with eyes and day and night they sang holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne forever the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne to worship him forever and ever. And watch this. Here's how they worshiped. This is worship in heaven. Not here's worship in heaven. And they will take their crowns one by one. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me strength to overcome. Thank you for keeping me from suicide. Thank you for the privilege of serving my generation. Jesus, thank you. The next one will come. Thank you. Thank you, little, that you let my family serve you. Thank you that you allowed me to lead people to Jesus. Thank you that you allowed me to give my life away. Thank you that you let me be a difference maker. I want to worship you today with my crowns because everything I... Everything I have, I have it because you gave it to me. I I'm not a self-made man. I didn't make my own way, I didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Jesus, holy, 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 holy. You're holy. But here, here's gonna be some of you. I, I, uh, I could have served in the parking lot. Uh, I could have helped hospital ministry or jails. Uh, you know, I probably could have a bag of groceries Jesus thank you thank you thank you for what you did you want to know why because you've never done nothing you've never let God move you out of your comfort zone Stretch you. Take the grace that he gave to you and multiply it. See, some of you got in a fight with your wife and you quit. You got frustrated because everything wasn't perfect. You quit. part of the worship team, but they weren't prepared one night. So I got out of my lane. See, listen to me. In the end of the book of Revelation 19, the Bible says that heaven said there was a dragon. A dragon. Put that up for me. On his robe and on his thigh, he had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Keep going. Next verse. I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried a loud voice to all the birds in the midair. Come gather together the great supper of God. Hold on a minute. Part of of that verse before it was up on the screen says, And on his robe and thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Somebody shout, King of kings and Lord of lords. He said there was a dragon. Listen. 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 What began in the garden as a snake. By the time we get to the end of the book is a dragon. Somebody been feeding that sucker. And he eats flesh. But he said, there's one who has a name. King of kings. Please listen to me. He's king of King, say it again. You only become a king when you when you conquer. When you conquer. He's not king of everybody. He's the savior of the whole world. But he's only king to those who've learned to overcome in the middle. And have learned to conquer. Who have learned to say, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I've been redeemed not with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the lamb and I come to lay my life down